Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello and welcome to Good Morning Canada. I'm your host, Navem, and welcome to another hour of Alternative Viewpoints. Modern lifestyles in the 21st century, whether based in the Western Hemisphere or in the rising powerhouses of Asia, are unlike any other period in human history. Populations are living longer, urban centres are becoming denser and closer in proximity, And the ongoing expansive use of the internet has transformed how individuals work, search and shop online. Also how they pursue education, engage in leisure time and on a more broader level how people communicate and interact with one another. And we are constantly reminded that modern societies are increasingly connected via digital platforms. However, a rising tide of loneliness is on the rise through various forms of social isolation. And according to a report entitled Loneliness in America from the Harvard Graduate School of Education project, makingcaringcommon.org, which was published in February 2021, they produce some interesting data. And in a national survey of American adults, 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness by feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. And this included 61% of young people aged between 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. And in addition, 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the COVID events. And these figures are consistent with a previous report commissioned by the Joseph Rowntree Foundation in the UK, published previously in 2014. And this measured the well-being of the British population and interestingly discovered that only 58% of British people felt connected to their community and one in eight people do not have a close friend that they could rely on in a personal crisis. The report found that the UK population was one of the most disconnected countries across the European continent compared to much smaller countries such as Cyprus, Romania or even Spain. And over the past 50 years, loneliness has become increasingly widespread on a global level. And according to academic researchers, loneliness has increased from a level estimated to be around 11 to 17% in the 1970s to around 40% in middle-aged and older adults. Indeed, as the prevalence of loneliness rises, global evidence suggests that loneliness is a major risk factor in determining physical and mental health outcomes. So this leads us to ask our first question. Can we distinguish between loneliness and solitude? Indeed, there is a major difference between the two experiences of solitude and loneliness, which can be described as follows. So... Let's start with loneliness, uh, solitude. This is a voluntary state marked by a choice to spend time alone, whereas the opposite, loneliness, is a negative state where there is no given choice. 
and this leads to feelings of being alone and isolated. But the main distinction is actually feeling alone rather than being alone. Because loneliness is far more complex than the physical state of being alone. And as I will explain shortly, many people experience being alone and isolated despite having an active social life and a rich source of friends. So in order to explore the subject matter in greater de detail, we can begin by asking, firstly, what is loneliness? So let's go over some key points. Firstly, loneliness is a universal experience that most people will identify with at some point in their lives, even though it's regarded as a taboo topic. And by its very nature, it creates overwhelming feelings of helplessness, which then lead to a downward, destructive cycle of negative thoughts and behaviours. Loneliness is also described as a subjective feeling or mood, often described by a marked feeling of absence. It could be a shortfall in a person's social relationships due to a discrepancy between perceived desire for contact and the actual state of social relations. But loneliness is uniquely different to desired solitude because it refers to a feeling of being disconnected from the world and the people in it. Secondly, in addition, the quality of a person's relationships is vital to understanding the experience of loneliness. And that's because we in various points in our lives and uh, everyday situations, we can be surrounded by a group of people, but we still feel lonely. Hence, loneliness is closely associated with having fewer but much deeper relationships based on closeness and intimacy, rather than simply pursuing a larger social network. And unfortunately, loneliness is often overlooked or ignored because modern society focuses on the issue of self-reliance and a powerful sense of a can-do attitude. In contrast, loneliness can lead to a stigmatization for anyone admitting to it. And this has clear implications for society's mental and physical health in the short and long term. But for most people, it represents a transient phase because they may possess external support and internal resilience to cope with it. However, it's when loneliness establish, establishes a long-term pattern that the experience becomes much more problematic, especially during life-changing events. And another aspect of loneliness is that it can be positive as well as negative. For instance, solitude is a state of being alone without actually being lonely, and it sometimes leads to self-awareness, which is often regarded as an important component of self-growth via personal reflection and meditation. And the author Paul Tillich in his 2003 book The Eternal Now commented, quote, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone and it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. And we'll return to this key distinction later in the episode, but for the moment, it's important to focus on who is mainly affected by loneliness. Firstly, middle age is typically a time when the key risk factors for loneliness are present. 
such as retirement, also children leaving the family home, divorce and bereavement. These are all factors that can also impact on a person's emotional well-being. Loneliness is not necessarily a prerequisite to life spent in old age, but it certainly is more likely to affect the elderly because of issues such as bereavement, ill health and poverty. And at the same time, the changing structure of families has affected the extent to which today's elderly are socially engaged. Also, people are living longer and have smaller families. And another factor to consider is social exclusion, because this is a very important uh, key point, because various other peripheral groups also experience loneliness, including, for instance, new immigrants, asylum seekers, the unemployed, lone parents, those with long-term mental health problems and disabilities, carers, for instance, and also people living in a state of uh, continuous poverty. So this now leads us to the next important question, why loneliness is bad for us? Well, the links between loneliness and its various health consequences are vast and very complex. Experts in the field of developmental psychology believe all individuals inherit a level of social bonding from our parents during our very early formative environment. And this is referred to as attachment theory and it was developed by British psychologist John Bowlby in 1969. And its central premise is that humans are born with a need to form a close emotional bond with a caregiver during the first six months of a child's life. And the theory maintains that social connections are based on individual experiences and therefore govern emotions at both individual and collective level. And it also explains why some individuals express different tolerance levels to loneliness based on expectations of the relationships around them. And if these expectations are, are not fulfilled for various reasons, our neurosystem interprets this as a threat leading to an emotional imbalance, and which then manifests as a feeling of loneliness. And to help us understand the topic area in greater depth, it's useful at this stage to conduct a, a brief literature review. So let's start with Robert S. Weiss in his seminal book, which was published in 1973, Loneliness, the Experience of Emotional and Social Isolation. He identified two types of loneliness. Firstly, there is loneliness through social isolation. And this describes loneliness caused by a lack of social ties, social integration or connection to one's community following uh, a geographical location. Secondly, there is loneliness through emotional isolation. And this refers to an absence of a personal or close relationship with a reliable attachment figure such as a life partner. And while emotional isolation is often linked with emotional loneliness, social isolation has stronger associations with social loneliness. Moreover, in contrast, authors Letitia Perlman and Daniel Peplau in their eminent 1984 publication, Loneliness, a source book of current theory, research and therapy, describe loneliness as 
that unpleasant experience that occurs when a person's network of social relationships is significantly deficient in either quality or quantity. Hence, using the above definitions, what we see is that loneliness describes not just being alone, but a subjective experience of isolation. And this also includes brief accounts of feeling left out or more painful experiences, such as losing a companion or a partner. And essentially, it's the time factor or the duration of loneliness, which is the key factor in determining how harmful loneliness can be. In other words, it's the long-term or chronic loneliness that is of real concern to practitioners rather than situational or passing loneliness. And consistent with this view, Jeffrey Young in Peplau and Perlman 1982 distinguishes between three types of loneliness. Firstly, transient or everyday loneliness, which includes brief and occasional lonely moods. Secondly, he refers to situational or transitional loneliness, which refers to people who maintained stable relationship previously until a specific event occurred, such as divorce, bereavement, or a relocation, or uh, based on occupation. Thirdly, he points to chronic loneliness. This occurs when a person lacks satisfactory social relationships for a period of two or more years. And from the standpoint of intervention, practitioners try to focus on issues two and three, trying to prevent situational loneliness morphing into something much worse, into a chronic experience, because the health implications of chronic loneliness are inevitably much more severe. So let's now turn our attention to how loneliness affects our health. And there is a body of research in the field of social neuroscience which suggests that loneliness can have adverse effects on an individual's mental and physical health. For example, it plays a role in the causes of depression and it's also a major factor in suicide. In the past, loneliness has been approached mainly from a cultural or social point of view, but work over the past three decades by social neuroscientists such as John Cachapo at the University of Chicago has proved that scientific evidence gives us the following view, that loneliness causes physiological effects with severe outcomes for our long-term health. And in an interview with the Guardian newspaper dated 28th February 2016, he argues that loneliness is like an iceberg going much deeper than general observations. It's also hereditary, it affects one in four people and increases the chances of early death by 20%. Persistent loneliness leaves its mark via stress hormones and affects the body's immune functions and cardiovascular functions. And this is done in a cumulative manner over time. And what this means is that being lonely carries a similar impact to that of being a smoker or a non-smoker. Loneliness affects individual behavior and increases the chances of indulging in risky habits such as drug taking or pro promiscuity. And it also plays a key role in mental disorders such as anxiety and paranoia and is a known factor in suicide. Furthermore, 
Academic research suggests that the risk of Alzheimer's disease in later life more than doubles due to loneliness. And it's associated with a more rapid cognitive decline and in the long term a high risk of mortality. For the, furthermore, in their 2008 book, Loneliness, Human Nature and the Need for so Social Connection, John Cachapo and William Patrick suggest that there are five causal pathways through which chronic loneliness has an effect on health. Let's look at the first one. This is through increasing self-destructive habits such as overeating, greater alcohol consumption or smoking. And that's because loneliness weakens willpower and the perseverance over time of individuals. So people who have been lonely for a while are more likely to indulge in behavior which damages their health. The second factor is through increasing exposure to stress. Thirdly, lonely people are more prone to social withdrawal and disengaging with others and therefore less likely to seek emotional support, which makes them inevitably more isolated. Fourthly, there are long-term effects on the Im immune and cardiovascular systems. And the fifth factor, finally, is that isolation is linked to the basic human need for sleep. Lonely people experience more difficulty sleeping and sleep deprivation is, a, is known to have the same effects on metabolic, neural and hormonal regulation, um, similar to that of aging. Other situations which lead to an adverse effect on health include major life transitions such as relocation, bereavement, retirement, breakup or loss of important relationships. Also situations where individuals feel marginalized from mainstream society or socially excluded due to scenarios such as unemployment, poverty, mental health. Uh, mental illness, old age, immigration, and being a single or a lone parent. And interestingly, it's also teenagers which may be at greater risk due to their particular brain development patterns, which causes them to misread various social cues and emotions, as well as feeling overwhelmed by the turbulent transitions experienced during this age. And this range of Adverse factors leads us to another highly relevant point regarding social disconnection. Many commentators have argued that changes in the way we work and live in the 21st century in modern societies across the world are having a negative effect on our mental and emotional health. And although many societies are better off materially, a sense of personal happiness proves to be elusive due to societal values which promote the pursuit of individualism. Hence the rise in mental health disorders over the last 50 years. Moreover, research points to a mental health problems occurring more frequently in unequal societies which socially displace the most vulnerable elements of society. And there is a strong argument which suggests that the opportunity to further the benefits of social capital have been lost over the past few decades in the pursuit of greater wealth or possibly treating human social networks as non-essential. And inevitably, this raises an important question. Are we neglecting a part of our lives which leads to satisfaction and a greater sense of happiness, thereby keeping us healthy for longer?
And one way of answering this question is through an analysis of the concept of solitude. So, although research in psychology usually focuses on social interaction and human behavior, some reaches some researchers have made great inroads towards the other side of human experience, namely the experience of solitude. Indeed, what they found is that there is a substantial amount of research to support the notion that solitude can have either a positive or a negative impact on a person's well-being. Because people's reactions to solitude varies considerably, from loneliness and depression to contentment and happiness. And a leading proponent of the benefits of solitude was eminent British psychiatrist and author Anthony Storr, who in his 1989 book Solitude argued in favour of an introverted approach to life. And he suggested that solitude is actually very necessary for mental health and creativity and that the most profound human experiences actually have little to do with other relationships with others. Solitude, he writes, is linked with self-discovery and self-realization, with becoming aware of one's deepest needs, feelings and impulses. His unique approach stemmed from his own childhood experiences of suffering from loneliness. And from a different perspective, critically acclaimed writer Anneli Rufus makes a compelling case in defense of the loner using evidence from various sources of modern culture, as well as interviews with experts and famous loners across the world. Her highly detailed analysis rejects the conventional wisdom that aloneness is identical to loneliness. She states, quote, loners by virtue of being loners have at their fingertips the undiscovered, the unique and the rarefied innate advantages when it comes to imagination, concentration, inner discipline, a knack for invention, originality, for finding resources in what others would call vacuums or a knack for visions, end quote. And yet despite these fascinating literary accounts, we are also aware of the fact that humans are inherently social animals. Indeed, most individuals will agree that their relationships are the most important and enjoyable aspects of their lives. Therefore, relationships and social interactions contribute substantially to one's psychological well-being and happiness. And this is largely because throughout human evolution, social bonds have been essential to our survival in order to outwit predators. And man has needed to adapt using increased cooperation. So having briefly introduced the concept of solitude, let's try to clarify now the difference between two key issues, which are privacy and solitude. And research into solitude has been approached from various angles. Most academics and theorists have referred to time spent away from others as privacy, but in its narrowest form, Privacy can be defined as a form of physical isolation from other people. On the other hand, solitude refers to the absence of social interaction with other people. For example, people can seek out solitude by going to a place where they can be by themselves, such as a park or trail. 
They could be sitting very close to someone but not actually interacting with that person. But equally, individuals can maintain a sense of solitude in the pre presence of others by choosing not to interact with those around them. An individual's preference for solitude results from a combination of motives and expectations. And although some people typically avoid social interactions due to social anxiety or shyness or a lack of social skills, others choose to spend time alone because they enjoy the experience and they wish to accrue the benefits that come from solitude. And many people believe that a high preference for solitude equates to positive well-being. For example, time away from others can be spent on much-needed self-reflection. People do need time alone to contemplate personal issues, problems and important decisions. Certain questions about religion or personal values may require evaluation without intrusion from others. And at its most basic level, spending time in solitude offers an opportunity to organize one's thoughts by reflecting on past actions while preparing for future social encounters. And this self-restoration process may become necessary to maintain one's self-identity, which is actually separate from our social behaviors, because although time spent with others is usually pleasant, the pressure of what others may think and the constant monitoring of someone else's reactions can actually become emotionally draining. And interestingly, certain people seem to be perfectly adapted in their requirement for regular periods of solitude in terms of their ability to function in a healthy and positive way. And this idea was first put forward by Abraham Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs Theory, in which he published in 1954. And he identifies a high need for privacy as one of the characteristics of self-actualization. He believed that certain people clearly recognize the value of time spent alone in order to seek out and enjoy solitude. And what this means is that there are a number of key benefits to solitude which apply to almost every type of person. Let's take a brief look at some of these benefits. It gives individuals a chance to pause and reflect in order to gain a sense of perspective and space in their life. And it removes people from social pressure and helps to manage stress. And there is a clear sense of self-connection which reminds us that we are not subject to the other perceptions of uh, people around us. Instead, it creates a feeling of inner companionship, allowing contentment with one's identity rather than competing constantly against inner forces. It also improves mindfulness and promotes the positive benefits that can be offered. And finally, it, prov it provides opportunities to nurture cognitive activities such as creativity, problem solving and contemplation. So now that we have a better understanding of the meanings behind solitude, how does solitude relate to the modern world? And this is something that we'll pick up in the next segment because right now I'd like to take a brief pause. We're coming up to a short break. Much more to come in the next segment. See you soon.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Navem. It's great to have your company. So in the last section, we had just discussed the key benefits to solitude, and we were about to transfer to the next area of analysis, which is how does solitude relate to the modern world. And in the introduction to the episode, I described how in a technologically advanced world with greater urbanization and high population density, humans are living closer to one another. And yet because of this, we immediately detect a clear dichotomy. And that is that social isolation has become a pressing negative issue. But strangely, the modern world makes it increasingly difficult to use solitude as a way of addressing this issue in a positive manner. And to understand this puzzling contradiction, we need to look at the underlying issues which are causing this. So as consumers, we are constantly exposed to an ongoing barrage of messages from mass media, which as a result, invites the influence of other people's voices into our lives. And this, the source of this could be social media, it could be smartphones, advertising, and other modern forms of technology, such as the latest app. The result of this is an endless stream of communication directing repetitive messages and an expectation that we should always stay in touch with this source of communication regardless of how trivial the message may be. So the aim is for target consumers to constantly keep up with the world, the clear inference being that we will be at some sort of disadvantage in terms of potential opportunities or our level of success. In other words, if we do not follow these commands, we will essentially be isolated and lonely. So the situation encountered is one of being crowded out, not just by a density of people around us in the urban environment, but also the pervasive presence of communication, which makes it difficult to find solitude in the modern world. And to make matters worse, the idea of unplugging from this network of communications is considered odd in a mass consumer society. Indeed, there appears to be a strong view that solitude is a negative and degenerate state to adopt. It's deemed to be unfashionable to be alone in a socially connected world. It's viewed with suspicion and society has a built-in bias towards it because 
We are constantly encouraged to connect or take active steps to be social. And to frame this argument, news reports will often describe the person, for example, in a murder situation as a loner in order to construct a negative uh, perception of mental instability by linking criminality with solitude. So these factors put together, what they suggest is that modern society makes it increasingly difficult to find solitude. And by the same token, we know that we live in a world in which we could all benefit from solitude more than ever. And yet, curiously, we are faced with this terrible paradox because the modern world seems to fuel the most worst aspects of both worlds. It promotes loneliness in different ways, but also makes it harder to find meaningful solitude. So at this stage, we can make a clear distinction. That is, there is a preference for solitude. And we can see one of two general scenarios. Firstly, certain people prefer solitude because they want to avoid or escape from social interaction due to shyness or social anxiety issues. Secondly, there are other people who choose solitude over social interaction because they realize the benefits which accrue from spending time alone. But as we'll see in the next section, there are overlapping lines between preferring solitude and choosing solitude. And often these boundaries become blurred. So in the final part of this episode, I'd like to explore the idea of modern society being more lonely a much more lonely place in, in greater detail. And to do this, I'll be introducing a school of thought, which in English literature, at least, is one of the most instructive starting points on the concept of solitude. And this is the work and philosophical thought of Henry David Thoreau. And for those familiar with his thoughts on self-sufficiency, he's best known for his rugged individualism by living for a short period in a cabin which he built by himself at Walden Pond near Concord, Massachusetts. And Thoreau was part of the influential group known as the American Transcendentalist Movement, founded by the eminent author, essayist and poet Ralph Waldo Emerson. As a member of the Transcendentalist School of Thought, Thoreau's time alone was not merely about self-sufficiency, it was about a transcendent experience solitude and transcendence combined, or in other words, a connection with the divine in nature. So let's start with a very brief introduction to one of the foremost thinkers of American literature, Henry David Thoreau. And he lived from 1817 to 1862, and he was an American philosopher, a poet and environmental scientist whose major work, Walden, analyzes in depth the conflicting identities and problems of living in an industrialized world, in particular the nuances faced by individuals from the rampant advance of capitalism. Thoreau's passion for descriptive writing about nature and his deep interest in the natural world have continued to shape American politics and popular culture for the past two centuries. And his influence on the broader environmental movement has been incalculable. Thoreau offered a new way of living based on his naturalist approach to individualism and his uh, approach to anti-materialism. He advocated solitude as a meditating concept, as a philosophical way of life, and not simply a mode of re reflective thought and discourse. 
And this was achieved largely through Thoreau's masterpiece Walden or Life in the Woods, which, as I mentioned before, it was about his uh, two-year stay at Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts. So in 1845, Thoreau builds a small cabin for himself, and while he's there, his main objectives were to pursue his passion for writing, explore his love of nature, and also to devote his time to leading a simpler life. And in doing so, he inspired millions of others to do the same and to seek a different lifestyle based on frugality and a deep sense of connection with nature. And in chapter four of Walden, entitled Solitude, Thoreau describes the relevance of solitude and being at peace with one's own company, to be comfortable listening to inner thoughts and thus creating an experience of transcendence. And he states, I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. We are, for the most part, more lonely when we go abroad among men than when we stay in our chambers. And in chapter five, entitled Visitors, he captures the essence of being comfortable alone while also being comfortable with others. He believed transcendent experiences can be found both in solitude and within human social experience. He states, I had three chairs in my house, one for solitude, two for friendship, three for society. And to interpret these passages, we, we refer back to the previous section, which describes two dimensions of solitude, those attracted to social interaction and those wishing to avoid other people. So what can we learn about these conflicting thoughts conveyed by Thoreau? In particular, the way he juxtaposes solitude and visitors. Is there a common thread to encountering the self during solitude versus seeking company also within solitude? So let's take a closer look at this very contradictory situation which presents itself in modern society. Various disciplines in the social sciences suggest to us that we are designed to live in close contact with other uh, human communities. Also that we thrive in close cooperation with each other and yet the irony of this is that our modern way of life by its very design isolates us from others and this is the paradox that why modern society is becoming richer in material terms and yet at the same time its citizens are becoming even more unhappier. The result is a growth in disparate communities which are drifting further apart. And Thoreau comments on this by stating, while civilization has been improving our houses, it has not equally improved the men who are to inhabit them. It has created palaces, but it was not so easy to create noblemen and kings. And this is a stark reminder that mankind is wholly unsuited to the physical and social environment which we now inhabit around us. And more people are living alone in small environments. The, the trend of working at home, which has increased more recently due to COVID events. Also, we see commuting long distances and working long hours, either physically or virtually. They've become social norms, and as a result, individuals barely find time to spend with their own families. As a result of this, more people are shopping and socialising online to escape the drudgery of everyday life. 
and also people communicate uh, uh, sorry uh, commute long distances back and forth uh, to, to work long hours at the office so modern cities are becoming denser in terms of spatial proximity and public spaces are becoming more crowded due to intense urbanization despite the covid events and yet conversely there is a rising trend of more people living alone for instance in the united states just as one example the percentage of one person households has more than doubled over the past 50 years according to us census bureau figures and this represents approximately 28% of us households but it's not true only in north america it's increasingly common in many countries around the world that said people are more likely to live alone in wealthier countries and turning to the issue of urban sprawl thoreau's thoughts echoed the words of his mentor ralph waldo emerson in terms of its spiritual shortcomings he states cities give not the human senses room enough we go out daily and nightly to feed the eyes on the horizon and require so much scope just as we need water for our bath hence facing such an oppressive backdrop is it any wonder that personal relationships are suffering and this somber reality immediately reminds us of thoreau's famous quote the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation and this observation speaks to the emptiness of modern life that most people lead caused by unfulfilling work a lack of leisure time and misplaced values pursuing material possessions and accolades thoreau claimed that the value that we attach to possessions money and status is actually misguided his reference to quiet desperate lives informs us of a routine and emotionless existence which inevitably leads to a state of unhappiness and he wanted to inform the reader about his own personal life at walden which was peaceful it was in contact with nature and his awareness of what he observed around him that most people spent their time and energy working to acquire luxuries and big houses he observed that men were enslaved by their needs working not for passion instead working to pay for their costly desires to him luxuries were simply obstacles to self-awareness and therefore personal growth simply could not be achieved by leaving behind the scourge of materialism so let's now turn to another key issue which is the influence of changing ties and relationships on solitude and there is a growing volume of research which suggests that relationships which are vital to our health and well-being are under threat by broad demographic changes and lifestyle trends in our society previously i mentioned that more people are actually living alone due in part to an aging population and lower fertility rates divorce rates have almost doubled in the past 50 years pursuing careers or university education means that people live further away from their families and the communities where they grew up in in addition more people are now dying alone especially in western societies which clearly indicates that loneliness endures for the majority of people until their last days and more often than not is often accompanied by poverty thoreau was well aware that the world he lived in was in the throes of a rapid and unprecedented shift in other words the impact of the industrial revolution in particular the rise of urbanization and the advance of industrial capitalism in america and one of the major benefits of a solitary lifestyle for thoreau was the ability to think and exist through self-awareness in order to achieve this 
requires an awakening of the self from its hypnotic slumber because Thoreau believed man's existence has been enslaved and his self-worth debased from labouring as part of the capitalist system. Thoreau states, the millions are awake enough for physical labour, but only one in a million is awake enough for effective intellectual exertion. Only one in a hundred million to a poetic or divine life. To be awake is to be alive. And here he's referring to the masses of production workers that are not awake, but simply sleepwalking towards a hollow life of exploitation, believing that this is the only path to success. So let's now look at the influence of changing communities on solitude. And our notion of what binds a community together is also essentially in a state of flux. Communities that were tied to localities are declining, but what we see is communities based on shared interests, such as environmentalism, are thriving. Social scientists point to the fact that Older forms of community were rooted in geographical locations and have been replaced over the last few decades by a more fluid and modern version centered around online communities. And at the heart of old style communities were local services such as post offices, libraries and community centers. But these are in decline, especially in Europe, due to austerity, austerity cuts which began uh, in the uh, era around 2010. Also, we can refer to the United States, too, because there's been a slow decline of the U.S. Postal Service over the past few decades as a public service and as part of the country's critical infrastructure. So what we see is that all of these are issues of social decline, but also a reminder that man's place in society has changed fundamentally ever since the growth of rapid urbanization. And this stems from mass migration out of the countryside, which always follows any industrial growth cycle and is partly to blame for a breakdown in the fabric of traditional communities. So let's turn to the influence of technology on solitude. And Thoreau was very keen to point out how technology was able to dominate lives instead of serving human needs. He states, we do not ride on the railroad, it rides upon us. And there are so many similarities here in the contemporary era in terms of the growth of a digital lifestyle and the notion of speed. It's always present and demanding more tasks from humans in, in less time. And one factor that has had a major impact on in interpersonal contact is new technology, particularly the, the dominance of the internet. But Let's be honest, experts are very divided about the positive and negative effects of technology. But as seen under recent lockdowns, meetings are now becoming easier by removing the requirement of face-to-face -face meetings. And although many people say working at home improves their work-life balance, others will argue that they feel actually more isolated due to the lack of human contact. That said, technology can never replace the physical contact that benefits our well-being because although it facilitates relationships, both real and virtual, there is no substitute for human interaction. Human connection essentially acts as a buffer against loneliness. And let's now turn to the final area of analysis and to some extent probably the most significant. And this is how modern life became disconnected from nature. 
And we know this because since the 1950s, academic research suggests that modern societies have become increasingly detached from nature and its range of positive benefits. Thoreau's views on man's disconnect with nature can be summarized in the following quote from his essay, Walking. It represents one of the most powerful statements about how we perceive the world around us. He states, in wildness is the preservation of the world. But this quotation has often been misunderstood because he's not referring just to the untouched aspects of nature, but the synergy between the natural world, our inner thoughts and wider human society. And throughout his life, Thoreau was constantly aware of the growing tension created by the advance of American capitalism. And he grew increasingly intolerant of the state of the world around him. Indeed, industrial capitalism was a byproduct of progress and essentially became a focal point of his critique against the capitalist system, with its power concentrated in urban spaces. Thoreau uses his excursions into the wild as a mechanism to launch his attacks against this system. And while the power of industrial capitalism alienates the individual and erodes the essence of the self and its link to community, walking, i.e. His, his pursuit of wildness, exposes the dynamics of the power relationships at work here. Wildness itself leads to self-awareness, resistance and transformation and it becomes therefore a conduit for resistance against the orthodoxies of the day. And let's turn to the main source of our own nature deficit. What are the explanations for the shrinking of nature in our own collective imagination and the broader cultural conversation? The narrative of urbanization consuming vast amounts of natural land, displacing people from their natural environments is commonly used to explain the weakening human connection to nature. Indeed, some reachers point to a different explanation for our disconnection from nature, which is that rapid technological change and in particular the growth of indoor and virtual recreation options. So let's consider the timeline. The 1950s saw the rapid rise of television as the most popular entertainment medium. Video games came afterwards uh, in the 1970s and they still remain a popular pastime in one form or another. Similarly, the internet has been claiming more and more leisure time since the late 1990s, implying that these technologies become substitutes for nature as a source of recreation and entertainment. And this analysis helps us explain the influence of technology on nature. Thoreau's inclusion of the railroad in Walden is highly significant because he realized that the railroad was not just an embrace of new technology, it went much further than that because it was symbolic of man's advance towards a continuous state of revolution in technology, which simply could not be ignored. He feared the effect of the railroad on the surrounding wildlife, but also that the working man would soon be absorbed and substituted, much like the railroad, simply another cog in the machinery of American capitalism. He states, the working man has no time to be anything but a machine, or else his work and subsequent pay would be less. So let's wrap up now with some concluding remarks. During this episode, we've mentioned the duality of both loneliness and solitude. And as we progress the course of our own lives, it's important to note that the boundaries between 
preference for solitude and choice of solitude become blurred. Hence, it's important that we all need to navigate a path between our need to be with others and to be by ourselves. And Henry David Thoreau's Walden is many things. It's an account of one man's solidarity and his retreat from society, a reaction to the threat of modernity, a call for autonomy. It's also self-awakening and a sincere appreciation of life simplicities. But Thoreau also draws attention to the point that because at certain points in Walden, he would be full of anticipation about his life at Walden Pond, such as the coming of spring, while at the other t during other times he would isolate himself from the world sheltering from the cold and winter storms. So for Thoreau, his cabin was not just a symbol of his solitary life, but also a focal point of his interaction with the environment. His solitary existence allowed him to perceive and appreciate his surroundings. Because solitude requires the capacity of self-listening by respecting nature through the moderate use of natural resources and an acute awareness of the signs of a decline in natural systems because self-listening makes us stronger as individuals, but nature also highlights our relative weakness before the vastness of the universe around us. So in other words, witnessing nature's grandeur awakens us to our human vulnerability by exposing the limited scope of the economic system that we live in. It creates a sense of humility, which is essential in order to progress towards self-awareness. Hence, Thoreau believes that man's preoccupation with aggressive industrial activity rather than thoughtful reflection would prove to be his overall downfall. He believes solitude was a test on the individual, requiring independent thinking, because only free thinkers would be allowed to care for the natural world. And this self-examination that Thoreau refers to is a perfect example of the simplicity and solitude necessary to find self-awareness, which in turn will help others in modern society find their own sense of awareness. And in conclusion, I'd like to provide some final insights into this key feature of duality of both loneliness and solitude. We mentioned that human evolution has strengthened our social bonds because this is what social science reminds us, that we are inherently social animals. Also, in the density of the urban complex, man's advancement is independent of his ability to conform to technology. But conversely, one of Thoreau's main aims was to demonstrate how nature and life are actually intertwined. He firmly believed that man and nature were designed to coexist together. He states, modern man must derive his strength from his contact with the earth and with nature. Deprive man of that contact and he becomes physically, spiritually weak. Thoreau aimed for self-awareness by slowing the pace of his life by immersing in nature. He states, life consists with wildness. The most alive is the wildest, not yet subdued to man. Its presence refreshes him. He believed that modern society enslaves its citizens through the stagnating effects of materialism and through the servants of the economic system, such as new technology. And the contemporary era what we see is that market capitalism has purposely created a state of loneliness through artificial means, through this economic system. 
modern society continues to stoke an addiction to materialism by making people work more, thereby perpetuating the cycle of loneliness. And it's precisely this concept of the unnatural which diminishes the time available for nature's activities. And in the final analysis, it is the concept of solitude which rejuvenates the human soul and adds to the quality of interpersonal relationships. But returning to wildness requires a transformation of not only the individual, but also the complex processes which underpin our lives. This transformation requires a return to self-awareness, to simplicity, but in the final analysis, an acceptance of nature's natural order. And that's all we have time for in today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada. I really appreciated your company today. And as always, I'll see you next time, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.